0: Everybody, I'm Andy Hamilton of Track Wrestling coming to you from the National Wrestling Hall of Fame Dan Gable Museum in Waterloo, Iowa. I'm joined again this week by the Duke of the Track Wrestling Rankings, David Mirkatani. Welcome back, David.
1: Thanks, Andy, and happy birthday, sir.
0: Thank you. Thank you. It was a uh, good birthday indeed. So, a few uh, days welcome late, back. Better
1: late than never, right?
0: So <laughs> yep. Yep, For sure. It was a good one. Good. Well, welcome back. Uh, the best time of the year is here. The postseason has arrived. We have a ton of wrestling to talk about, uh, both looking back at the Pac-12 championships, looking ahead at the other seven qualifiers uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, but first, let's give a plug to our sponsor. The track wrestling rankings are brought to you by FantasyGrade.com. And the ultimate fantasy wrestling challenge. Do you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country? Prove it. Go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live events, online event or both. David, we got a bunch of places we could start this show. Um, you know, I think first of all, maybe the thing to do is to take a quick run through uh, the track wrestling rankings for this week, very little to talk about from a changes standpoint. In fact, the top 10 in the team standings remain the same. Penn State 115 and a 115.5 points, followed by Oklahoma State at 91. Ohio State in third at 80.5 points. Iowa in fourth at 76.5, followed by Virginia Tech at 71. Nebraska at 62 Missouri at 52.5, Cornell at 49, Pac 12 champion Arizona State at 37.5, and, and Lehigh rounds out the top 10 at 37 points. On the individual front, 99 of the 100 wrestlers ranked in the top 10 at their respective weights remained the same, remained in the same place this week. The only change, Pat Downey is out of the rankings after being dismissed from the team at Iowa State. Mike Machiavello moves up from 11 to 10 at 184 pounds. A lot to talk about with Iowa State wrestling. David, where do you want to begin?
1: Well, you mentioned the dismissal. I mean, I guess that's as good as place to start as any. Um, you know, I actually recruited Pat Downey however many years ago it was now. And, um... I think based on the number of transfers that he's been to, he'll have to transfer to a Division II, Division III, or NAIA school. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. And then, you know, we talked about this off-air, but uh, Iowa State kept Austin Gomez, and Jake Aller is going to Minnesota. And I I, I mentioned that last week without naming it. I, I have a good friend at Iowa State that told me that um, Allah really kind of wanted to go to Minnesota all along. He just got a little scared about what was going on a year ago with, with all the stuff with J Rob and, and the bad things that were going on there. And since that's been resolved, I think he's a Minnesota kid. And so it kind of made sense. I don't think they could have brought in, you know, Sergey Belaglazov and they weren't going to save him from going back. So, um, it was, yep, you know, that it, kind of makes a- sense.
0: To, to interrupt you real quick, I, w- I was going to make this point with Jake Aller. He, he in fact, had, um, you know, told IA Wrestle guys um, that he had asked for his release even prior to Kevin Jackson. Um, you know, Kevin Jackson's announcement that he was stepping down at Iowa State. And, and, and yeah. to your point about Jake um, wanting to go to Minnesota, in fact, uh, you know, he sort of alluded to that back in the fall when, when I did the recruiting story on him committing to Iowa State. uh you know that uh, you know it was really it was a really tough decision for him. That uh, um, you know he he really liked Minnesota, but the uncertainty there you know was kind of tough for him to get past. And then uh, when he made up his mind, uh, the second go round when he asked for his release, you know the uncertainty was at Iowa State rather than at Minnesota, where you know his right. Brandon Eggum was going to be the head coach.
1: Yeah, and he knew that the whole program wasn't going to be on suspension, mm-hmm. and you didn't know that in the fall. You didn't know what was going to happen. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, that that is a, you know, a big story. And, you know, obviously we'll see what happens with the other recruits. And then I guess, you know, from my point of view, I, first of all, big congratulations to Arizona State. Um, Went in the Pac-12. I think this is the first time they've won it since 2006. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, Seven yep. right years. Here. Yeah, most champs for ASU, uh, five champs for ASU, that's the most they've had at uh, the conference tournament since 2003.
1: Yeah, I'm actually going to have Lee Pritz on Match Chat this week, and he'll be the first two-time guest. But it it makes all the sense in the world with how well they did to talk to him about that journey there. He was instrumental in recruiting a lot of those guys before uh, they got there. So I I talked to him a little bit. They're very excited. And they know the journey's not done, but it's a huge step for that program so yeah
0: so not as we mentioned not a a ton of movement in the rankings um the one guy that probably you know that that moved the most this week was uh at 125 pounds stanford's gabe counsel got knocked off a couple times in the conference tournament he falls from 12 to 25 at 125 pounds also for stanford uh uh, Joey McKenna dodged a bullet in the semifinals, <laughs> got headlocked to his back in the closing seconds, um, you know, in trying to, to get a major decision and, and all of a sudden gives up six and and it's heading to OT and he finds a way to win that match. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that was interesting to me, you know, you mentioned ASU and the tournament they had um, seven finalists, five champs, and, and yet Stanford was right there, um, you know, basically one match away, four and a half points um you know well, right those, right those, on Arizona State's heels
1: the reason why that was the case though was Stanford got an unbelievable draw all their guys that they needed to get first round matches got them and none of Arizona State's guys got them and so they had all those 10 and bonus points and that's what kept it close but if you just went off placement points and if you took away those first-round matches, that wouldn't even be close. And when we wrestled in junior college, you um, know, you wrestle all year for a seed, and then they just blind draw these guys in. And we made a proposal one year and it passed in our district that you seed it. One, you know, wrestles the winner of 4-5, two wrestles the winner of 3-6, and the three six four five 5 match doesn't count for team points. And if they had done that, Arizona State would have won by 15 or 20 points. So, and you won't have that. You know, there's only one pigtail match in Nationals. But, I mean, I I was looking at that, and the team score was really not indicative of how much, you know, Arizona State dominated by. So, you know, it, it just, those draws happen sometimes, and I think conferences need to look at changing that you know, where it, it needs to be more fair where you wrestle all year and then, you know, the difference between four and five might be a coin flip and then they just blind draw those guys in. It can completely change how the season goes. And I, I'm not sure that's the right way to handle it.
0: Well, looking ahead to this coming week, um, you're going to be at the Big 12 Championships. I'm going to be at the Big 10 Championships. We're going to have coverage of the other qualifiers as well. Where do you want to start with looking ahead to what's coming up on the weekend?
1: Well, I guess to kind of just look at this from a macro point of view, I I talked to you about this, and I know you're really a historian, and I'm kind of a nerd, and as much as the rankings have changed this year, there are 11 undefeated guys at this stage of the season, and there's one at each weight plus the two studs at 184. I I would guess there's never been a season where all 10 national champions were undefeated. And I'd be really interested if maybe somebody were to, you know, message or text or tweet or whatever it and tell us the the most undefeated champions there's ever been in a year. But this is almost the opposite of, I think it was 2013, when like Tony Nelson got beat and Delgado got beat and uh, Chris Perry and Andrew Howe beat each other. And, you know, there was like seven or eight defending champions and they all lost. And this year there's, there's a, you know, literally a, a really good guy, a great guy, undefeated at every weight, and I'm going to be interested in that. And then I think the other big thing is, you know, what's going to happen with Suriano. Um, Is he going to wrestle? Are they going to weigh him in? Does, you know, does he kind of wrestle? All of that stuff. That's interesting to me. And then we talked about this a little bit off air, and I guess we can talk about it now if you want. You know, we looked at the trajectory of what Oklahoma State and Penn State, what their individuals have done. Um, you want to run through that real quick, Andy?
0: Yeah, we yeah we can take a run at that. I think one of the things that's really interesting is, um, you know, just I have the Week One our preseason rankings up right now. Yeah. And uh, uh, Oklahoma State tops the charts at 92 points, and the Cowboys are at 91. Right now. So they've only lost one point uh since the beginning of the season. Ohio State was second at eighty three and a half points in the preseason. The Buckeyes are at eighty and a half now. Iowa was third at seventy eight. The Hawkeyes are at seventy six and a half. Virginia Tech or excuse me, Missouri was fourth with seventy five and a half and and we've talked at length uh you know, throughout the last you know, yeah. Yeah, about yeah. yeah, about the injuries, how how they've decimated that team. Uh the Tigers uh sitting at fifty two and a half points, so they're twenty three uh back of where they started. Virginia Tech was uh fifth in our preseason rankings at seventy two points They're at seventy one. The wow. one team that, that has made you know monumental gains, Penn State. And we knew they would. Uh just right. because of uh you know, you talk about all basically you know, they, they started with the points of, of pretty much Nickel, Nolf and Rutherford. And now you start, you know, seeing a guy like Seriano. And I, I think we had him maybe at 10th in the preseason, uh, up at, at number two now. Uh, Mark Hall, you know, they've, they've picked up huge points there. Um, you know, so, th- so they've picked up, uh, Penn State's gone from 67.5 points up to 115.5 Uh, And and as you mentioned, uh, pretty much the only place the Nittany Lions have lost ground is is 133 where they, you know, they lost Jared Cortez.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Oklahoma State, I didn't realize the team scores are really basically static for everyone else. I mean, Oklahoma State picked up huge points at heavyweight. And then they've given ground at fifty-seven, sixty-five, seventy-four, eighty-four, ninety-seven. You know, Colica's gone up a few spots. Uh, Kate Brock's gone up a few spots. Piccinini's gone up one tier. And then the rest, of you know, obviously Heil stayed the same. But it's pretty interesting, you know, really nobody's given it away. Penn State's just gained that much ground. So I think that's... Yeah,
0: I mentioned the freshmen um yeah. you know the true freshman story and Hall but uh you know Neville's has been absolutely enormous for them. We started him off at 14 in the rankings. Um yep. you know he has made a huge climb. Um you know just pulling up 165 uh Vincenzo, right now Vincenzo yeah. Vincenzo Joseph was number 10 and he's gone up to 4. Uh so so just chunks of points here and there have added up to that uh Colossal gain for Penn State as a team,
1: and McCutcheon, right? Like we we had yep. this—I wouldn't yep. call it an argument, but you know—we had a, a a vigorous or debate, you know, vigorous debate about whether or not to even rank McCutcheon, and we didn't in the beginning or put him at twenty-five. And um, he's done a great job of adjusting to that weight. So um,
0: actually, Anthony Cassar was was the Penn State representative in the preseason rankings at ninety-seven. He checked in at number twenty-five.
1: Yeah, and it seventy four we I'm sure we had either Morelli or or Shakur Rashid. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah they've made yep. they've made all the right moves. And, and those right. guys have improved and, like and, crazy. And yeah.
0: Shakur Rashid started off in the preseason rankings at number twenty four at, at 174 pounds for Penn State. That's
1: crazy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's I didn't know and, and that's cool about talking talking about it with guys like you how static the other teams really were. So you know everybody's within felt if I remember correctly like three or four points of where they started. So that's that's really interesting. So, um,
0: well, and we said I, I wanted, we said back in in uh, going back uh, you know to, to the very beginning we said one of the teams that we thought would make huge gains or a couple teams that we thought would make huge gains at the beginning of the season would be uh, Arizona State uh, based yes. off you know we we knew that. Uh, You know, we had the Valencia's low just because, uh, you know, they hadn't proven anything yet um, at this level. But on a projection, from a projection standpoint, we knew that Ziki Valencia was the real deal and that uh, he was going to surge up a lot higher than where we had him at the beginning, which was 11th. Um, So Arizona State goes from 20th up to number 9. We also said that Minnesota would make some gains. The Gophers have gone from – uh, 15th up to 12th but uh you know as we've mentioned before that that pack from uh arizona state at nine all, all the way down to wisconsin at 13 even michigan at 14 those those teams have kind of been interchangeable throughout the year and we've seen the gophers in the top 10 i think as high as number eight at one point so um certainly those are going to be uh those going to be fun to look back at the end of the year just to see uh Uh, which teams made the biggest gains and which individuals made the biggest gains.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, you know, some match will happen and somebody will go, see, you know, you had the guy ranked right, or you had him ranked wrong. And that's not really indicative. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, if any of these 11 undefeated guys lose in the first round of their conference tournament, that doesn't mean we had them ranked wrong. It means they got upset. So, you know, (laughs) you I talked to a friend of mine today and you can only rank off of data. You can't have to try not to rank off of, uh, reputation, um, you know, previous years. I mean, at this point, you have a year's worth of data. Maybe it's a guy like Eric from Arizona State that struggled a million matches, or maybe it's a guy like Dylan Palacio where you, where it's harder to extrapolate, but we've had a season now. So now it's time to rank those guys absolutely correctly and, and not look, you know, any further past than this season. So.
0: Well, where do you want to go with conference tournaments? You want to start uh, You want to start with the Big Ten? You want to start with the Big 12? You want to go elsewhere? Is there any other let's, big...
1: Let's, well, let's start at the Big 12 because you guys are going to give me my uh, journalistic debut this weekend, right? I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to run a camera and do some interviews <laughs> and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, the pre-seeds came out for both of these and, you know... Uh, there are some big matches here. Uh, I think Okie State's got six number one seeds. Um, I think they have if they if they wrestle to the seeds up nine in the finals. Um, you know, I mean, I'm looking at at the seeds, the rankings now, or the seeds, and doesn't look like a ton of probably upsets at 25. I mean, 33. Kate Brock or Hall, I think, is an interesting match. Earl always wrestles well this time of the year, and then the Gross Brock rematch. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and you tell me if you agree. Assuming Tomasello wins the Big Tens, it feels like the winner of the Big 12 and the runner-up in the Big Ten will be the two- and three-seed Nationals. Um, Does that seem right to you? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I can't
0: see any way that that isn't the case. You know, if if that scenario plays out that you just
1: described. Yeah. So it seems important, you know, if Tomasello is kind of the guy to beat you know, for Gross and Brock to both win that match. Um, although, I, watching Gross or Brock wrestle Tomasello would be a fascinating style matchup in either case. Um, 41, it sure looks like it's a Heil-Meredith rematch again. Uh, 49, Kalika, you know, it looks like, you know, on paper he'll get the winner of Kosar Jeffries, and that's that's going to be an interesting match. 57 is interesting. You know, Joe hasn't wrestled a lot this year, so it looks like he'll get the winner of Colgan Mossing in the semis, and then, you know, assuming the seeds hold Ream versus Glass in the other semi, that those are some interesting matches. 65 is kind of a sneaky good weight at uh, at the Big 12s. You got Rogers, Cottrell, Ashworth, Silverberg, Mejias, and Fogarty, the six top 20 or top. 25 guys, and then Kellen Torres is, is seated eighth, and he he's been ranked during the year. Uh, 74. When Koser beat Crutchmer in the dual meet, that that really changed things because now Crutchmer's on the same side as Weatherspoon. So you have two All-Americans on one side of the bracket, and you know the non-All-Americans on the other side of the bracket. 84. It really looks like Nolan Boyd, you know, should should have his way if he wrestles well ninety seven, same thing again. Jacob Smith, Rodert, Weigel. Weigel lost to Rodert and um and Smith, so that, you know, puts him on the bottom side of the bracket. And then heavyweight, there's a, again about three or four guys that have been ranked during the year. I mean, I think the team race is, is sort of a given here, but it's gonna Oklahoma State to have a shot at, at the national title. They they can move up here in a couple of ways. You know if Weigel can win it, you know, if Crutchmer can win it, they're going to move up in the seedings and the rankings, and because a portion of that of that calculation is winning your conference title, so it's really going to be important for those guys to try to move up as much as possible and get some good draws.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you there. Um, you know, looking around at, at some of these other conferences, um, you know, certainly ACC has some. Um some very compelling weights, one hundred and forty-one pounds, um with with Kevin Jack, George D. Camillo, uh Joey Ward, um, you know, one hundred and seventy-four pounds. Uh you've got um uh Zach Epperly, Ethan Ramos, um, you know, one eighty four, uh we mentioned Machiavelli, uh Machiavello, uh, excuse me. Um oh. You know him and zavatsky and then then heavyweight with uh jacob casper and and ty walls potentially having a rematch there I think that that uh you know some fascinating stuff in the aCC one hundred twenty five you know with with dance mueller um uh, sean Foz as well yeah uh looking around the country at, at any of those other conferences um there th- there anything else that uh, really jumps out at you you know before we get to the big ten
1: yeah, I mean, you could go through each way. I think that, you know, like I think we talked about before, like you mentioned ACC. I think if Forrest wins or Forrest wins, he's going to, he's not going to end up at the eighth seed. I just don't see that happening. So I think that's interesting. Um, and then the MAC, I think the MAC at 149, especially, I mean, I, I'm a Missouri guy, but, you know, grew up here, born and raised here, but the MAC at 49 with Mays. Thompson, Oliver, and Belize. There's a couple of the weights in the Mac, you know, like 25 has been a weird year there, right? Peters has been hurt. Barlow McGee hasn't wrestled well. Then you got Aikens from Buffalo and, and have to kind of scan through this, but there's, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of other guys here. Uh, Gonzer from Eastern Michigan, Fleetwood from Central Michigan, uh, Laney from Ohio. I mean, that's going to be a good weight class there. So. You know, once we talk about the Big Ten, all this stuff kind of feeds into the AQs and how this stuff all works, and I think we're going to give it our best crack here, you know, maybe five or ten minutes to try to explain that to people so as they're watching they can understand a little better.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned the MAC. I think uh, 33. We've seen a lot of those guys. Um, Albert, um, Ernesty, Lantry, you know, going down the list, Cam Kelly, Anthony Tutolo, yeah. seems um, like those guys have been kind of um, in that shuffle from 10 to 25 uh, throughout the year. That'll be a pretty interesting wait. Um You know, 65, you know, we saw a pin Daniel Lewis, a uh, Bryce Steyer pin Daniel Lewis in the dual meet. That's right. Um, yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the so Steyer to be the
0: one seed, right? Yeah, I'm just actually pulling up the MAC pre-seeds uh right now and my link is not working so um,
1: that's okay. <laughs> we will
0: here we go. Here we go. Yeah, one hundred and sixty five pounds. Actually Daniel Lewis got the one pre seed. Uh Bryce Steyer at the two, Selden right the three at one hundred and sixty five pounds. Looking you know, forty nine was interesting because Mays uh had may split with, with Thompson and, and Oliver Beat Thompson, so Mays is the one seed. Oliver is the two. Thompson, the three. Bleece, the four. That's
1: kind of how we have them Mm -hmm. ranked, the same order. I mean, we have Thompson ahead of Oliver, but the draws and the semis are the same, yeah.
0: 33, Albert, the one seed. Ernesty, the two. Cam Kelly, the three. Brian Lantry, the four. Um, Corey Keener, the five. Lantry actually beat Josh Albert in the dual meet. Uh, so that's a potential semifinal match there. I think that's going to be, uh going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, whether, you know, you, Northern Iowa won the dual title in the, in uh-huh. the uh, Mac uh, had that big win in Columbia. Um, right. You know, can, can the Panthers back that up, it, um, you know, in their hometown here, you know, you mentioned the tough year Dylan Peters has had. I think uh, he started out number two nationally in our rankings. Uh, Barlow McGee, I think, was somewhere in the top eight uh, as well. Those guys come in as uh, Peters as the 6th precede Barlow McGee as the five. Um, so will we see Dylan Peters put it together? You know, he's had an injury-riddled senior season here. Um, obviously, he had the, the ACL tear a year ago and found a way uh, to make it to the Max Finals. Uh, with a torn ACL a year ago and then uh, had a heck of an NCAA tournament and uh, comes back to, I believe, uh, place sixth at 125 pounds at the NCAA championships a year ago. So um be interesting to see if he can put it together again in March like he did a year ago.
1: Yeah, and and, and you mentioned this, you know, Maybe not directly, but the team race is, is going to be super interesting there. And, and you know, we we've said this a hundred times this year that your good guys matter more in tournaments, and your bad guys matter more in duels. And you know, Missouri has built that program, and I think you and I is doing the same thing. On we're going to win all the smaller things that we can, and then that will eventually develop us into a national power. So I know it's really important to both of those guys to to win that that tournament. So. uh you know, I think Missouri wrestled about as poorly as they could against you and I. I cannot imagine that will um, possibly happen again. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. I think the IWA could be pretty fascinating as well. I mean, you
0: you look at that dual meet. I think it, you know it came down to, to heavyweight with with Cornell and Lehigh, and um, you know Cornell had the big comeback, getting pins.
1: But, well, real we, uh, you don't got that neutral fall pin against. Yep. Freak, which is probably the big kicker, right? Yep, that was probably the big decider in the dual meet. So yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, and and Damien Han talked about that last week. How important that is to them to win, you know, to win that tournament. So, uh, and that's a bigger tournament. I think there's 14 teams in that conference, so it it, it feels more like a bigger tournament. You know, it's you got to usually win four matches to win it. So uh, you know, I think they do it over two days. So it's uh, that'll be really interesting to watch as well for sure.
0: Do you want to dive into the Big Ten, David?
1: Let's do it. Let's do it. There's some fascinating matchups here. I've got them pulled up. Um, how about I interview you? What do you think about 25, man? There's a lot of, lot of good matchups here, and it'll really be interesting if Soriano uh, doesn't wrestle, right? Yeah. I
0: think that that's probably the story that, that everybody has their eye on, you know, going into, into the tournament, at least, you know, what, what is Penn state um, going to get out of Nick Suriano? If anything, uh, will he take the Dustin Schlater uh, route, which, you know, you, you remember back uh, Dustin yeah. Schlater nursing a, a knee injury uh, in 2010, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, he, um you know, he weighed in the Big Ten championships. Did not wrestle. Um, you know, ended up uh, still. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think he still got the sixth seed at the NCAA championships that year.
1: And, he did. Uh, yeah. You
0: know, wasn't the same certainly. Uh, right. You know, you know, gave it gave it a heck of a you know, go, but uh, certainly was not the the Dustin Schlater that we saw early in his career. Um, but. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways Penn State could go with this. I don't know that, that it's imperative for them to get points out of Nick Soriano to win the tournament, um, but he certainly takes away, you know, not having him certainly takes away a, a lot of margin for error for the Nittany Lions.
1: Yeah, the other interesting thing to me is in the corner is Lezak, UT, and, the, and if Lezak wins at a rematch with Gilman. But, you know, I mean, Lezak's the only guy that, had a substantial lead on Gilman all year, maybe the only guy that had a lead on him all year. So that's that. That would be really interesting um, to watch. So but we know Gilman won't pick down. So um, you know, I don't think Lee Jack will get that tired, but I also don't think he's going to be up eight to nothing. <laughs> so it'll be a fascinating match to watch.
0: Yeah, I think one of the most fascinating match or fascinating brackets of the tournament is thirty-three. You know, we've yeah. seen those top five guys there. That uh, you know, outside of Tomasello, who has run the table to this point. You know, two, three, four, and five in those preseeds have uh, you know they, they've contributed to that tangled mess that we had in the rankings there. You know, in early January, early to mid January. Um, how do you see that? Uh, you know, with with the way that it is preseeded, how do you see the matchups falling out there?
1: I think, you know, obviously besides Tomasello, the worst matchup for Montoya is Misich based on how they wrestled. So I think him getting the two and wrestling Clark, I mean, we've talked about how Clark's had some goofy matches, you know, I mean, where he beat Misich and it was close. He lost to Montoya and it was close. He lost to Brock and it was super, super close. Um, you know, Zane's kind of a forgotten guy here. Um you know, he wrestles a style very similar to Tomasello's. Um, it, it, those matches can go a lot of different ways. I mean, it, it certainly feels like Tomasello will come out of the top half of the bracket. And I know Montoya won head-to-head, but Corey Clark is such a gamer. You know, that I, I think that match is a pick You know, if you're, you know, setting a spread, I don't feel like, you know, Montoya is a big favorite in that match or anything like that. So... And these guys, these guys all have such good coaches and they break down tape and they're working on tendencies and most of these coaches don't really work on that stuff with these guys till the end of the year. They concentrate on their own guy and then at the end of the year we're like, okay, now we're gonna add how do you you know, David, how do you beat Andy Hamilton? You know, here's how you stop this move or stay away from that move and that kind of stuff. So that adds another layer of to it that's really interesting.
0: Looking ahead to one hundred forty one, which uh if you start Um, Getting into the team points here I think could be uh, pretty fascinating in terms of the race. You look at uh, the contenders, you know, Penn State, uh, Nebraska, Ohio State, Iowa, that top tier of teams. They've all got guys in here that uh, cheated in the two through six range with uh, Jimmy Gillibon at two. Um, you know, just taking a run through it. Anthony Ashnalt, the number one seed from Rutgers. Jimmy Gillibon, number two from Penn State. Three, Tommy Thorne from Minnesota. Four, Colton McChrystal from Nebraska. Five, Luke Fletcher from Ohio State. Six, Topher Carton from Iowa. If the Hawkeyes are going to make a move in this thing, they've got to have Topher Carton standing higher than than sixth on the, on the stand. Right. Yeah. I, I think that, that that's been one where we've seen a lot of movement in the rankings throughout the year. And I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to see how, how 41 shakes out. And you've got to make Ashnault. I would say, is, is the prohibitive favorite. But, uh, yeah. uh, yes. you know, how everything shakes out from, from two on down.
1: Uh, two through nine, is, those guys all feel like they're one takedown apart, right? Like if, if I told you Gaska beat Goulabon, Carton beat Thorne, Pletcher beat McChrystal, and Profaci beat Martin, I don't think any of those would shock you. And those are the you know the lower seeded guys beating the favorites in all those matches, so I'm not saying any of those are gonna happen obviously, but they just those guys are all just really nip and tuck, and that's again where game planning and strategy and and knowing how to wrestle a certain guy can make a big difference and somebody's gonna get a top twelve top ten seed out of this you know by by making second or third in the big ten, so it's important where you get drawn into the bracket for sure.
0: Looking ahead to 149, uh, obviously Zane Rutherford, returning Big Ten champion, uh, he won last year in the finals 4-0 against Brandon Sorensen, then opened up a gap and won by major against Sorensen in the NCAA finals. I think coming into the year, um, probably weren't a lot of people that expected Zane Rutherford to have as many close matches as he's had here. You um, know, and, and granted, it's only been a couple, uh, but but Brandon Sorensen um, took him. Uh, to the wire and a tiebreaker in the dual meet, Anthony Kalica. Uh You know, a 2-1 match here in the last go-round on February 19th. Do you see anybody uh, giving Rutherford a run for his money? Can Sorensen do that again this go-round?
1: I think he's the only one. I, you know, I don't know. Sorensen seems to be a bad matchup for Micah Jordan. It seems like it's hard for Micah to get to Sorensen's legs. And Sorensen is a hammer on top. So it feels like it's going to be Sorensen against Rutherford. And I think if that match is half as good as it was in the dual meet, that alone is worth the price of admission. Zane Rutherford is a really interesting guy because he's killing almost everybody. And we're talking about him like he's having a down year. And, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, right? Like, he's, yeah, I think he's literally the most dominant wrestler in college and, or, or number two. I didn't, I can't remember if it was him or Nolf, but like, he's murdering people. And we're like, yeah, he's not as good as he was last year. I mean, it's crazy. So, yeah, he
0: checked the number five guy in the country. He checked Michael right. Jordan and, and gave and up two takedowns.
1: Yeah, but what we're concentrating on is he gave up two takedowns. You know, most of us yep. would be like, I checked the number five guy in the country. We, you know, go eat a pizza. And we we're talking about how he did something wrong. So, I'm fascinated to see. I mean, Coach Sanderson alluded to the fact that Zane wasn't feeling well in that match. And then he, you know, kind of kind of walked it back and didn't want to take any credit away from Sorensen, which I respect. Uh, I, I think we'll see if that was the case. I mean, if it's another one-point match, I think Sorensen and I think Halika feel like maybe for the first time in a long time that they they can win that match. I think, before they were hoping they could win that match. And that's a huge mental hurdle to get over. So it's another, just another cool storyline in that tournament.
0: Well, we talked uh, at length about Jason Nolfe a week ago and, and what right. incredible season he's having. He comes in as the one seed, obviously. It's 157 pounds. Uh, behind him, Michael Kemmerer and Tyler Berger. Uh, I, I don't know of too many people that would not like to see another Kemmerer-Berger match. You know, those two <laughs> matches so far have been fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, Kemmer has found a way to come out on top of both of them to this point, but uh, that's setting up uh, on paper for a rematch Saturday night in the Big Ten semifinals. You know, although, um, you know, Brian Murphy's sitting down there at, at the three seed. You're talking about an All-American, a guy that's won a lot of matches through his, throughout his career. I, that's certainly no uh gimme for Tyler Berger if if right. that match materializes in the quarterfinals. Um yeah. anything and else if, interesting to you about fifty seven?
1: I was literally gonna say Murphy at the six hole Russell Berger in the three and then you know if Berger wins, I think Berger Kemmer would be really, really interesting to me if Berger got the first takedown. Because both times Kemer's gotten in I think in the duel the only takedown and then at, at Midlands the first takedown and it's a lot different wrestling from behind than from ahead. And you know, Kemmer keeps coming. And the only guy that seems like he slowed him down at all is Knopf so it'd be really it would I think that match would be super fascinating if Berger got you know the first takedown and, and then Kemmer came at Burger. So yeah, that's it. That's kinda of what I, I'm I'm in a brilliant agreement with you. I was talking to my father the other day, we were going to wrestling practice about one sixty five and I said, we don't talk about Isaiah Martinez all year, They talk about how great Nolfe is, and he is unbelievably good. Isaiah Martinez is just kind of doing his thing, and he he beat Nolfe two out of three. And this weight's really good, too. But if it's possible, of all the guys, how good they are this year, the undefeated guys, Isaiah Martinez is the only guy that can win four national titles. So I almost feel like if it's possible, he's underrated. You know, and this is another weight where there's – you know, six, seven guys in the top 25, they've been in the top 25 at one point or another this year. So it's another really, you know, balanced weight and really top heavy with the top four guys.
0: Yeah. Imar has certainly had a sneaky good season. I mean, it's, you know, to me kind of a reflection of what, what you've talked about throughout the show, you know, 11 undefeated guys and, and he's one of them. He's not, you know, one of three or maybe four or five like there have been at the past. You know, when you start getting eleven guys, and and you know we've had so many storylines this year. We've we've had Gilman doing his thing at at one twenty five, and we've had Tomasello um, you know, remaining un, unbeaten in that move up to to one thirty three. Dean Heil has has dodged some bullets, but found a way to get his his hand raised every time. Uh, you mentioned Rutherford, and and what an incredible season he's having, and and yet we're talking about him like like he's in a slump a uh, Nolf has been absolutely uh a, a wrecking machine at one fifty seven and you know, Zahid Valencia at, at one hundred seventy four and, and you know Dean and Nickel and and what they have done has been spectacular at one hundred eighty four and and Jaden. You know, we haven't talked a whole lot about Jaden Cox this year. And yeah. uh, and you get on down the list and and you know, we got an Olympic bronze medalist and an Olympic gold medalist and you know, there's just been so many guys that have had spectacular seasons that uh, they they've kind of some of them have,
1: some of them have
0: kind of uh, drowned out uh, the accomplishments of of guys that are having uh, phenomenal phenomenal years.
1: When you have 11 undefeated guys, it's just impossible to really give all 11 guys the credit they deserve. So that's just going to happen, but it's it's really a special time for wrestling to have that many undefeated guys and a bunch of them don't graduate. You know, that's really interesting too. you know, I think, you know, Gilman graduates and uh, Gabe Dean Dean graduates and Cox. Cox. Yeah. Yeah. So eight out of the 11 are undefeated, will be back at least one more year. That's amazing. So kids are getting better and better earlier and earlier. It's, It's, really a testament to how hard they work and how good a lot of the youth coaches are around the country, for sure.
0: 174, Bo Jordan, the the number one pre-seed. Well, we, we skipped over 165. You touched on Imar, but uh, Imar is the one pre-seed. Logan Massa is the two. Isaac Jordan is the three. Vincenzo Joseph as the four. Those top four have had some barn burners this year. I, I suspect we'll see more of the same this weekend. Um, going ahead to 174, Bo Jordan, uh, the one pre-seed, Mark Hall, the two, Zach Brunson, the three, Miles Amin, the four, Alex Meyer, the five, Jordan Pagano, guy that uh, posted a win here a couple weeks ago against Ryan Preesch of Lehigh. He comes in as the sixth seed. How do you see 174 shaking out? Because I think that that might be the – you know, 174 and 133 to me are – at least from an unpredictability standpoint, maybe the, the two most um, compelling ways.
1: You said seventy-four and thirty-three, or seventy-four and forty-one, in terms
0: of. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think you could probably throw forty-one in there too. But you know, yeah. in terms of when you get down to uh, five deep at thirty-three, yeah. you see a lot of guys there that that could potentially win the tournament.
1: Yes, I agree. Yeah, forty-one feels like it's national, but then who knows everywhere else. Uh, I, you know, at 74, I mean, you don't want, root for, you want root for no matter who, what team you like, you want kids to be healthy. So really helpful. Jordan is healthy, really helps Seriano. If he's not healthy this weekend, Is healthy when it counts. You know, Mark Hall, again, really hard guy to rank because he has some puzzling losses. Uh, it would have been interesting to see him and Meyer on the same side, like if they were three and six and not two and five. I don't know that Meyer's a bad matchup for him, but it would have been an interesting matchup. I certainly think Mark Hall's a bad matchup for Zach Brunson based on how it went. The Miles Mean alex Meyer match is, is really interesting, and then Meyer wrestled Bo Jordan really close. So if you're Iowa, you're probably not hating where you are in the bracket. And I think Alex Meyer can on any day can beat any of those guys. And whoever wins the Big Ten is going to get a really high seed at Nationals, which could really change things for a team like Iowa. So and, – and Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, you know, three of the top four teams in the country all have a guy here that really could make the finals and win it. So that will have a, a lot to do with, you know, where those kids are seated at Nationals. So it's it's very interesting. Yeah, so – yeah. Again, I'm, I'll am be really interested to hear it play out. I'll probably be blowing your phone up trying to find out what's going on because um, those will be fascinating matches.
0: One eighty four. One of the things that's really compelling to me, and one of the things that uh, stood out to me from the pre that I knew it was going to happen, but uh, yeah. uh, just seeing Tim Dudley go from <laughs> yeah. you know from two to five in a right. matter of like like you know, one loss, basically. I mean the Miles Martin loss on the final weekend of the regular season, uh, you know, because Dudley uh lost to Martin who um you know lost, lost to, to Brooks and, and yeah. Brooks had split with Jackson. It, it it you know I knew it was gonna come but it was just it was really interesting to see how far uh Dudley fell there on the <sighs> final you know with one loss on the final weekend of, of the Big Ten season. Um and, which hurts and, him too. I mean, because you go from you go from being on the, the two three side and, and having that opening uh possibly to make the finals um to being on the side opposite of uh, Bo Nickel, a guy that did handled Tim Dudley and, and uh yeah. Miles Martin as well. Uh really interesting though that uh you got two guys in this weight that were in the NCAA finals last year, Nickel and Martin. Also got two guys that were in the Big Ten finals last year and Brooks. And Dudley, and then you got Nate Jackson, who's certainly no slouch either. Um, And then throw in Emery Parker, a guy that uh, has had a tremendous uh, season this year from, uh, you know, I'm not sure we had him ranked in the preseason. I think he kind of came into the rankings in in, uh, uh, the early part of the season. And then, then Nick Gravina as well. Um, if I'm not mistaken, not looking at the rankings right now, but I think he's 12 uh, nationally. Comes in seven uh, as the seven pre-seed, so probably not going to find a better bracket anywhere this weekend than the Big Ten at 184.
1: Yeah, and you know, you mentioned so many relevant things there, but you know, we kind of forget Nate Jackson beat Bo Nickel last year. Yeah. So you know, I mean, that's it's fascinating. It certainly feels like you know, it's Bo Nickel and everybody else in the Big Ten. And yeah, when I saw the seeds I was like, wow. You know, this is the reason why guys don't wrestle duels late in the year because, you know, Dudley would be better off being in the 6-hole, right? I mean, he'd be way better off being in the 6-hole than the 5-hole because he'd wrestle Nate Jackson and Brooks. Instead, he's got to wrestle Martin and Nickel. That's terrible. So it's and it's going to change the seeds the Nationals. I mean, I guess. The only thing about the seeds of nationals are no matter what, you're going to catch Nickel or Gabe Dean, you know, before the finals. But you really want to be seeded third, fourth, fifth, or sixth so you can at least try to make the semis before you have to wrestle one of those guys. So <sighs> Brooks Jackson is a really interesting match. Dudley Martin is a really interesting match. You know, the winner of that versus Nickel Miles Martin feels like he might have another run in him that he's, you know, adjusted to the weight, and he's wrestling really well at the end of the year. So that'll be really interesting to see. I mean, you pointed this out. The match he lost to Nickel, he got scored on at the end of each period. So, and and, and Nickel got those takedowns. It's not like he got any you know, good calls or anything, but it, the match is a lot closer if, if he doesn't give those up or, or at least gets escapes. So maybe Miles Martin is the guy to, you know, keep an eye on that, you know, somebody were to pull an upset along the way, it might be him. So, or at least maybe keep it closer than people think.
0: 197, Brett Farr, the number one seed. Uh, Colin Moore, the number two we saw in the dual meet here uh, in late or mid-February, early February, I should say, I think of the 12th. Um, final Big Ten duel of the season for both of those teams. Colin Moore kept the gap. It was a major decision out in Vegas. It was a couple-point match. Um, we've We've had our eye on Colin Moore. Throughout the regular season, right. and then just been really, you know, I think I speak for you too. I've been super impressed with with the progress he has made. He's been a lot of fun to watch. Guy that fires off a lot of attacks, and I uh, love
1: how that kid wrestles. He's awesome. He's absolutely awesome yep. to watch wrestle. Yeah,
0: yep. And Aaron Studebaker, the Midlands champ, checking in at number three. Matt McCutcheon, we mentioned him as, as a guy that has been instrumental in Penn State's rise to, to really. Uh, shore up nine weights, to be really strong at nine weights. Uh, he mm-hmm. is the fourth pre-seed, Ricky Robertson of Wisconsin, the five, Jacob Berkowitz of Northwestern. You know, we mentioned him several weeks back, a guy that uh, I don't have his exact record, and I can look it up here quick, but uh, a, a guy that, uh, you know, coming into this year had a losing record for his career and, wow. and what he, he has done. This season has been, uh, you know, nothing short of spectacular. Uh, the turnaround yeah. that he has made, yeah, he came into the. He still has a losing record for his career. He's forty-four and forty-eight on his career, but that's going twenty-two and seven this season to get to that point. He was four. He was four and fourteen. Four and fourteen last year. One and nine in dual meets. One and eight against Big Ten opposition. And you know, I think one of the things is really interesting. He scored six dual. Dual points for Northwestern a year ago, and gave yeah. up 32. So he went seven and 20 as a freshman, 12 and 17 as a sophomore, um, 17 and eight the following year, um, four
1: and four, 14 last year. I think we know who Northwestern's He's, most improved wrestler is. I don't think we have to go, yeah, to go to the bank. For we, sure. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. sure right.
0: 22 and <laughs> seven um twelve at twelve and three in duels six and three against big ten opponents this year, so a huge huge turnaround for jacob berkowitz He comes in as a sixth pre seed cash Wilkie of Iowa the seventh um do you think anybody's got a run in him can can somebody here take out far and and if so is it is it Colin Moore or is there somebody else that that could do it i okay, I think
1: Colin Moore. Yeah, I mean, I think Colin Moore is going to win two national titles at least before he's done. I just, you know, I think he's in the right environment when you listen to interviews about that guy. I don't know that he's going to be far. I mean, I I have no reason to say that. If I'm far, though, I don't like having to keep wrestling Colin Moore because they might wrestle again in two weeks in the NCAA semis, depending on how the speeds go. So, you know, if you're the better guy, you don't want to keep wrestling a guy who's really good. It just gives that guy a chance to close the gap. So. Um Colin Moore to me is like a poor man's Kyle Snyder. And, you know, I said that to Jay Jaggers, and he said, don't put that on him. So, I, you know, I guess I shouldn't. But the kid just fires off attacks, and I guess he's a super gym rat and just loves to wrestle and, and you know, loves getting his tail kicked by Snyder and Tervell and all those guys. And you can see the leaps he and bounds he's making. it's It's really impressive.
0: Speaking of Snyder, does anybody have anything for him here? You think you think we haven't seen the Medbury Snyder matchup? Um, I'm fascinated but,
1: uh, to see it, and you know that you know the storylines, right? Medbury's, you know, Tarbell's training partner, so they're, you know, Tarbell is Snyder's coach and mentor, so those guys are all probably really good friends, and they probably they probably sparred over, you know, in in Rio, you know, train together. So I, Snyder to me is just at a an incredibly different level from all these guys. As much as we talk about all these guys and how good they all are, there's nobody else on this in college besides Jaden Cox who could have made the Olympic team and Snyder and won the gold medal. You know, and a couple years ago had to beat Jake Barner just to make the team. I mean, that's and had to do that to make the team again. It's just I, I think if it's possible, Kyle Snyder's underrated. I, I that is yeah. just different level, just different <laughs> level, you
0: know? you know. One thing, is, one thing that's interesting, um, you know. Colin Jensen rode him out for a period in that dual meet, but you know, I don't know. Snyder probably scored a dozen takedowns, whatever yeah. it was seven or eight takedowns, um, you know, in, in the other two periods. And it wasn't a close match, but it was interesting to see, you know, a guy who's really tough on top like Colin Jensen and. Um, give him a little bit of trouble in that position. Uh, that to me, Jensen and Crails, and Michael Crails, sitting there at the at the four and five, could be one of the one of the uh, quarterfinal matches worth um, you know keeping an eye on, circling and and uh, uh, keeping an eye on that when that comes around. Neville's and, and Brooks Black at the three and the six. We've seen Neville's make a huge jump this year. Uh, that that we mentioned the guys that that have. Um, been instrumental in Penn state, making that, that huge leap, um, from 67 and a half ranking and advancement points up to 115, uh, points. Uh, he's, he's been a, you know, at or near the top of that list in in terms of of guys that have made the surge. David, you've mentioned the at large, um, the card situation, how the qualifier allotment is figured out that you wanted to talk about that. I'm going to let you go and, you know, just give you the forum to explain, um, break that down, and, and clarify everything from that standpoint for our listeners.
1: Yeah. So, a couple of things. Um, I got some of this information from Black Shoe Diaries on how the RPI works, and uh, Seton Hall Pirate, I got some of the information from him. So, I definitely want to cite, you know, these sources and not act like. You know, I came up with all this stuff on my own because I didn't. But basically, it's a combination of three things. It's your winning percentage, the coach's poll, and the RPI. The coach's poll is the easiest one to understand that you need to be in the top 33. And straight from the NCA handbook, it says five Division I matches by the first coach's ranking, five Division I matches by the second coach's ranking, five Division I matches by the the third coach's ranking and have to have at least one in the last 30 days. And forfeits and medical forfeits count. So, you know, basically if you've wrestled, you know, enough matches, you're going to get in, and and only D1 matches count. So, you know, against D2s, JUCOs, that kind of stuff, et cetera. Um, We'll talk about what the RPI means, but you have to have 17 Division I matches to have a calculated RPI. And forfeits and medical forfeits and defaults are excluded, not included. And then the winning percentage, you have to have eight matches at your designated weight class. And that's important for like a guy like Sean Paws, who has a bunch of matches, but a lot of them were at 133. So the coaches poll, you need to be in the top 33. You need to be in the top, you need to be in two of the three categories to get what's called a silver allocation, all through the gold allocation. And then the NCAA takes how many of those guys and, and gives gives a chart of that. So, for example, um, there are 125, 28 guys have qualified that, uh, six or three from ACC, four from the Big 12, et cetera. The whole idea behind this was to avoid really good guys having a terrible national qualifying tournament and not going based on one weekend. And a couple of examples, like Craig Henning, who made the national finals several years ago for Wisconsin, didn't get to go the next year. Tyron Woodley, who's defending his UFC title this weekend and is from about 25 minutes from where I live, Mizzou guy. All-American as a sophomore, All-American as a senior, didn't qualify because he didn't get a wild card. And those wild card meetings used to be really political. So this kind of takes a lot of that out. Now the way this works is if you finish in the top thirty-three in the coaches poll, if you're in the top, uh, the win percentage is over seven hundred, and your RPI is good enough, then you you qualify a spot. And real quick, I'm going to read this. It's it's a bunch of math, but it's important to understand. Ratings percentage index or RPI is strength of schedule. The NCAA multiplies your win percentage, your opponent's win percentage. And your opponent's, opponent's win percentage to reach a pure math factor. The higher the better. And this is from a couple of years ago from Black Shoe Diaries, and they use it David Taylor as an example. He's undefeated, so his winning percentage is 1.00. His opponent's winning percentage was 0.65, and theirs was 0.5. So you multiply those together and you get 0.325. And then they say, quote, the 0.325 by itself is meaningless, but when you perform the same calculation for every other wrestler, and support them in descending order. You have a usable metric. So that's how they measure those. So if people want to know how to do that, I mean, you probably need some a calculator or a program like you know, a place like track wrestling or somebody like that with smart guys like Justin Triss to calculate that. But that's how it gets done. So and that's that's how Gabe Dean winds up at
0: at you know at four at at uh, 184 pounds. That's how um, Michael Kemmerer. Winds up ahead of Jason Knoll at 157 pounds. Um, you know, just to, you know, give you some examples. Sure. It's not based off. It, it's not based off just this, you know your strength as an individual. I mean, that's why you know Sam Brooks is, is wrestled all those tough guys that we mentioned in the Big Ten at 184 pounds. That's how he winds up ahead of Gabe Dean.
1: Those are great points. And and again, it's good that it's A criteria, and it's also good that it's not the criteria. So, but it is a factor in this. So the way this works, if you just, if we pick, say, let's pick 125 because there's two examples that make sense here. Uh, Gabe Townsell was the only guy to qualify the weight at the Pac 12 and he lost. Now I talked to a division one coach today who actually helped me and he said that if everything else is equal, another criteria is, in the qualifying event placement, you must be one below the automatic qualifier and have one win against a wrestler receiving an automatic qualifier via the earned position. So, again, we talked about at 125 that there's 28 guys, and Gabe Townsell is looking for one of the five spots. So Gabe Townsell is rooting for, in the ACC, Joey Dance, Jack Mueller, and Sean Claus. To finish in the top three in some order. Because if they don't, one of those guys is probably going to get an at large or a wild card bid. He's rooting for Nick Seriano to wrestle because if Nick Seriano doesn't wrestle, he qualified one of those spots and he most certainly is going to get the first at large bid. The only guy that would get one ahead of him would be Gilman. So it's important if you're good, you, it doesn't matter. But if you're kind of on the border, you want all the guys that are good to wrestle as well as they can and use the spots they earned and not steal what what we call a, a wild card spot. And I'm not sure if I'm, you know, maybe I'm muddying the waters even more. I'm hoping to attempt to explain this. 125 is another good example because in the MAC. Dylan Peters doesn't have enough matches to qualify. So the five guys that qualified are Laney, Gonzer, Fleetwood, McGee, and Aiken. So if Dylan Peters finishes in the top five, by definition, one of those guys will have to finish sixth or lower, and they're going to be up for a spot. So Dylan Peters is a guy, Dylan Palacio are, are guys that are going to, if they wrestle as well as we think they will, will will take one of the earned spots and somebody who earned the spot will probably become a wild card. And this is where it gets you know tricky and this is why where coaches' rankings and things like that matter. The other thing that people should realize is you can get into the tournament and not earn a qualifying spot and still get seated. And that happened with Adam Kuhn a couple years ago where he was, I believe, undefeated going into either the Big Ten or the the weekend right before that. Lost, went 0 and 2 at the Big Ten, and then still was seated, I believe, seventh, or I think it was seventh or tenth. I remember him being on the seven ten line, and so they still criteria when they're doing that. So it's a lot to process. I think, in a nutshell, people say, "Well, why is it? What is the point of all this?" Again, is to avoid guys that have had really good seasons, maybe have one bad weekend or you know be injured or hurt like in the old days, Soriano wouldn't go, and that's really probably not right. you I know mean, the guys had an unbelievable season, and it also you can still get hot when at the right time and get in The other thing is, and I think people know this every conference has at least one spot, so 141. Nobody from the SoCon meets the criteria, but they still get one spot, and it's called a free space. So whoever wins that, even though they didn't qualify through those three criteria, will automatically go to nationals. I don't know if I've done a good job or a bad job, but I've tried hard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you've, you've laid it out pretty well. I think uh, you mentioned Craig Craig Henning. Uh, back in 2007, was an NCAA finalist uh, for Wisconsin at 157 pounds. A year later, uh, Big Ten was absolutely stacked at 157. Uh, Craig Henning comes in, I think it's the five seed. He was 4-5 with C.P. Slater of Minnesota. Slater won that conference um, uh, quarterfinal. So these are the days where the Big Ten took 72. So the top seven at all ten weights got automatic qualifying spots, and then uh, the Big Ten coaches were left to kind of duke it out for the final two, um, lobby for their guys uh, for who deserved the wild cards, and you had to finish uh, eight um, to get a wild card. Well, um, Becker got bounced into the consolations. He ran into Nick Bertucci. Uh, from Purdue and Bertucci beat Henning in a tiebreaker match, so Henning did not place. Guy went from uh, being in the NCAA finals one year to not even being in the tournament the next, and and really didn't um, fall off in terms of performance. Just had that uh, uh, you know tough draw with Big Tens. and and you know to me, I, and I've heard people say it before that that the kind of uh, uh, the restructuring of uh, the qualifying system was, was kind of the Craig Henning rule. Um,
1: Craig I, I, Henning argue, I, I think that's probably right. And I, some of the reasons people love wrestling is it's ultimately decided by guys in the mat. You know, in life, it's not like football where they, you know, vote on two and they play, or now they vote on four and they play. So you know, no matter how bad you are, if you win your conference tournament, you're going to nationals. And if you win five matches, six, if you get a pigtail, you're the national champion. This just rewards guys that have had great seasons, and it doesn't prevent guys to catch lightning in a bottle from doing it. You know, what I mean, I can be Jacob Perkowitz two years ago, and I can still win the nationals if I wrestle great. So, it, I, I like it. I'm a math guy, so I really like it. You know, it's it's complicated. I'm not really sure I fully understood it till a couple of weeks ago when I knew we were going to talk about this. But it does. You know, I think it gives people that had a really good body of work a chance to have one bad weekend and still be there or be injured and still be there. Yep,
0: yep. And, uh, yeah, and I think as a result, a trickle-down effect of this is is we've seen some of the wildest opening rounds um, in my memory. I I think this will be my, like, 18th or 19th NCAA championship that I've covered. And and the wildest first sessions – have, has seemingly come in the last you know, five, six years, where we've seen more upsets than ever before in those early rounds. And I think, to me, that's a reflection of getting uh, the best 330 guys in the tournament, um, and, and that's why we're seeing that. We're not seeing um, just because uh, the Big Ten, uh, you know, for the longest time had 72 qualifiers, and and that was set in stone for, for years there, that the Big Ten was getting seventy-two, so uh, it didn't matter that, that maybe the Big Ten's having an exceptional year, and is you know there there are more than seventy-two deserving wrestlers, or or maybe the Big Ten's having a down year, and, and the Big Ten doesn't deserve seventy-two. Um, right. This takes in present year data um, into account, and at you know the guys that have earned those spots, uh, you know we're we're winding up with the best three thirty. In my opinion, now more than than ever before.
1: Yeah, and, and maybe not right. Like maybe a bunch of guys, maybe at 125, all the non-seeded guys win the tournament, and some good guy stays home. But that's also wrestling, right? You know, I mean, if there's yep. six in large bids and one, two, three, there's you know, eight qualifiers, and all eight are won by unseeded, unranked guys. Two good guys are going to stay home, but they're the guys they so at the very bottom of qualifying the weight, and that's still fair. So it's as fair as it can be. Yeah. I mean, it's there's no perfect system. And it's certainly better than, like, the high school state tournament where you wrestle all year, and then you just get drawn into a formula. Yep. So.
0: Well, David, we're over an hour.
1: Um, yes, sir. We.
0: We've gone well beyond our, our lengthiest show to this point. Is there anything else that you wanna you wanna touch on before we sign off and no. call it a week? No. All right. I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> well, David Mirkatani, thank you. As always, thank you for handling the track Wrestling Rankings, which are brought to you by FantasyGrade.com dot com and the ultimate fantasy wrestling challenge. You know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country. Prove it. Go to www.fantasygrade.com and enter the live event, online event, or both. Thank you, David Mercatani, for your time, your insights. Look Thank you. Uh, we look forward to your interviews from Big 12 Championships. I will be in Bloomington, Indiana for the Big 10 Championships. We'll have other reporters uh, stationed around the country at uh, conference qualifying tournaments. So check back to trackwrestling.com dot uh, com throughout the week and throughout the weekend for coverage leading up to and coverage of the conference qualifying tournaments. Uh, thank you again for listening. You can download and listen to us on the go on the Matt Talk podcast network. Thank you very much for tuning in this week.